We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast, your three-quarter season review. I'm Alex Hurst, full host tonight. We are joined by Ben Wade, Mickey Collin, full name, Cy Campbell, Annie Bollins. Uh, two new lads on tonight. We've got Daniel Olsen from NUFC 360. Daniel, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Uh, we've also got uh, Simon Mooney, a.k.a. Chubbs, first time on the podcast. Chubbs, great to have you. Lads, I'm going to open this pretty broadly. Three quarters of the way through the season, we've done a quarter review each stage of the way. We've been top of the league every time. We're still top of the league, Mickey. How has it been for you since Christmas? Five wins, five draws, two defeats. Have we slipped up a bit, or do you think, now nah, top of the league, this is where we need to be? Um, basically, yeah. I think we're top of the league. People need to stop worrying so much. Um, that's all All we ever said in the summer was, we just need to, we just need to get promoted. We're currently top of the league with the most goals and the most points. Nothing else matters. Lads, anyone want to come in that? Anyone want to disagree? Um, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll disagree. Um, there is there is a slight reason to be worried in that um, we have five home games left and our home form is atrocious for a team that's top of the league. Like, atrocious. if you think like for a team, for a team, team, team of the top, like team that's top of the league, you'd expect to have class home form. And we don't. We've like, got class away from, so. Yeah, but we've only got three land games. But, but Bolin, looking at the looking at the teams we've got, you know, Wigan, Burton, Preston, Barnsley. Every team we've played at home, we've beaten away as well. So there's no fear there. Are anyone anyone to take Bolin up on that? Everyone, anyone else worried about the home form? I'm I'm worried slightly, but not about the players, more about the fans. I think the reason we've got atrocious home form is because we don't back ourselves and we just have too much expectancy, which is a massive stereotype in Newcastle fans at the minute. But I think that's what's that's what's basically dragging me down every time I play at home. Yeah, we've spoken about that a lot. Um, I totally agree. You'd, you'd hope they'd be a bit worried as well because Huddersfield what six points off the promotion places with a game seven, in hand, seven. seven. Yeah, Technically eight with goal difference. And still with a game in hand though. The game in hand ball on the second last game of the season, so chances are, chances it, are, it's like not done and dusted. And if anyone's capable of having a mare in the last eight games and fucking it up. It's, it's Newcastle United. <laughs> I was going to say, you say, is anyone, this, this team and this manager in this, this season, has that given you any any reason to think if there's anyone who would fuck it up, it would be us? I'd think, no, nah, we're, we're, we're less likely to fuck up than we have been. Every time we've had a bit of a wobble this season, every single time there's been a question asked of Rafa, we've gone and won, like a Brighton, or we've gone and won three or four games in a row. You know, He's always answered the questions. Whenever there's a bit of pressure on him, he pulls it out. But like... Only be, maybe going slightly over the top of it, it but like but only being one point top with a very good Huddersfield side in third, I think you've got to be a little bit, a little bit worried. I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all. I think we're going to get promoted. I think eight, eight games to go, Bolland being, I'm going to say it again, technically eight points clear and that's, but, but eight points clear, they've got a game in hand with eight games to go. Newcastle or something like one to 30 to be promoted or one to 25, I mean. Is that the odds? Yeah. That's it is excessive. Daniel, I'll bring you in. Um, Daniel, yeah. the lads here, um, you know, it, we're, we're recording from Newcastle. Do you do you share that as an international fan? Do you share that fear that, that Bolland's talking about a little bit? Or do you think, now nah, we're home and hosed? Um, no, I think we'll, uh, we'll get promoted. Um, I don't think the the home form is that big of an uh, issue. It's it's only an issue if uh, the players perceive it as an issue. Uh, 
there's maybe some pressure playing at home and uh, if the idea creeps into their mind that the home games are a problem for them then uh, it'll continue to be but uh, in terms of Rafa's history with uh, for example Liverpool and other teams there there's no pattern that he's extremely good away compared to home or anything like that so I think we're not cut and dry but I've, I think it's harder to not get promoted now than it is to get promoted Okay, uh, very interesting Daniel I think I think you made a good point there that Benitez has he's been consistent, consistently good across his career it's never like Liverpool had a shit season away from home or Valencia were unbelievable at home and terrible away he's always had that consistency Mickey wants to come in on this one no, after, you. after me about <laughs> so I mean yeah that was kind of my agreement there with Daniel um, bringing back to what Chubbs brought up about why we're home from is so bad and you know a lot of fans have been very critical of Benitez's tactics he should play two up front he should do this he should do that we should be more aggressive we should we should press higher um, I know well Chubbs has already raised it Mickey you, you're, you're of the same opinion that perhaps there is the some blame to be had for there's definitely something to say of it. There, there has to be a reason why our home form is worse than our away form, and how much of that's down to teams bringing negative tactics to St James's mm. to quieten us down, and how much is down to a, a, a really, really hostile home crowd at times. I mean, it has to. It has to play some part in it. It has to. You can't be. You can't be a player and be in that atmosphere and not be affected. Yeah. If you if you've gone seventy minutes, you haven't scored, and you misplaced a pass, and Dummett kicks the ball out by accident, and and almost everyone in the ground's up on their feet screaming at you. It's going to affect the way the, the way you perform for the rest of the game. There's no how, two ways about it. How and often it's completely you, fucking unnecessary. Yeah. How often do you hear former managers, pundits, and people who've played against Newcastle say, if you can get to half-time level or get an early goal, the, the, the crowd will turn and it becomes so hard. Like the no, People know how to play at St James's Park because the crowd can have such a big impact. In both a positive and a negative way, it's like if you let them score early, you're done for. Or if you can frustrate them and get them pissed off for the last half an hour, they'll be going nuts and there's your chance to take the game. I think everyone who comes in St James's does that. Chubbs, mm. why why is it like this? Though? Why, why isn't Castle fans always so harsh on the team? Well, I think you'll have people like Jermaine Jenas call the city a goldfish bowl and say there's not really much else going on in the city. So we're pretty hyper-focused on how the footy team does. But it's been a problem for years and we expect champagne football we deserve it because we're a sensational club sensational background but you've seen so many players come in on top of the world with a great reputation and leave as absolute shells of themselves and players just completely devalue being at the club and just be broken in confidence we've probably ruined people like Shora Miyobi's career by just simply not giving them a chance and coming on every coming on for 10 minutes to go in a game and the crowd, well, he's coming on to Phil Alan Shearer's boots or Craig Bellamy's boots or whoever it was, Michael Owen's boots, and, you know, he can't quite do it. Who can get going in 10 minutes of football? No one can. I think it's been a problem for years and years and years, and this isn't just my opinion. I'm going to try and back it up with a stat. <laughs> so, 9th of March was an article produced on the Chronicle. Um, I'd, I'll ask you first. Who do you think has played the most minutes under Rafa Benitez? Paul Dummett, yeah. Fact. That was a question. However, he's also the most criticised, yeah. and we're top of the league. So, is he horrendous? Are the fans right? Is he actually okay? And that's why we're top of the league. Or do we simply not have another left back? We've been in the integral part. All three. He's not good it's enough. A bit, he's not a Premier League. Yeah. No, we haven't got a left back because obviously you've got people like Haidara who just are injured every other week and we haven't had many options. But at the same time, you can see he's he's, he's developed and I think this he's found his level. I think he is a championship full, well, a left back anyway. In terms of he's really solid defensively, like he's a good defender. And he's come on a lot, and you can see there's things in his game now where he's he's developing. I mean, I know he's we always joke, young young 26 year old uh, Paul Dummett, but he's but he, he's he's actually like, he is like you see an improvement from him, and that's credit to Rafa. That's, that's the thing; he's got better this season for me. He, that, he, that, he of course he has, but it. Just looks we're playing against crap. It gets the better team. The, the better teams are the better players in the league. He has best games. I was going to say we we always joke about. Back Paul Dummett in the Premier League again. 
probably not, but I, I, I'd be willing to give him a chance next year, considering how well he's in certain game In certain games, Bolland, you want, when we're going to be under the cosh against the top teams, and we've seen it time and time again, we've cracked up about it on the pod, he's, he's kept some of the best wingers in the Premier League out of games. Because, yes, he doesn't go forward, and that's the problem, obviously, as a, as a left-back and an attacking entity, you need like more out of him, and, and no one denies that. But the fact that he doesn't get forward, he's just constantly in the right position. Yeah. Like It's hard. You, most of the good attacking wingers need like space in behind, back fours. You don't get that with Paul Dummett. So he's got his role to play against certain teams, but it's just obviously people... At, at this level, he needs to be doing more going forward, and that's what people expect from him, and that's the problem. I think this we can tie this back into the home form, can't we? Because Paul's away from home rarely has a bad game. No one really gets in his back because we'll play with a flat back four. The full backs part, Yedlin's a kind of anomaly because he's so fast, but we kind of stick that back four and they don't really move all game. And it's kind of, what have you got? You know, fuck off, we'll beat you kind of thing. Um, but but at home, that's what happens, though, isn't it? Like we we'll go away from home, everyone gets all, all the fans get excited. It's like we're gonna be the, we're gonna beat Newcastle. Loads of them turn up, and then we we'll beat them kind of fairly in a really boring manner. And it's just like, oh, I'll <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. But but basically, point is with and don't you're right. Sense of frustration there for the home games. And let's let's get into the tactics a little bit now for home games. If anyone's got anything to say, maybe maybe he's all. Disagree, but is is, is there an argument to us or Haidara? Good football, Haidara. I'm not saying he can run, he can beat a man. Oh, season side, he's been. He's definitely well, at the start of Jan. He hasn't been injured since. He just can't get. Football's the evolving um, at the top level, and fullbacks are becoming more and more important as attacking options. If you look at Tottenham, United with Valencia on the right, like the majority, particularly Tottenham, the majority of their attacking play starts with the fullbacks, and it's, yeah. it's caused by the fullbacks overlapping the wingers. Chelsea. Got Victor Moses playing right back. Like, we're going. We're if we're going to compete at the top level of the Premier League, we're, we're going to have to get fullbacks in that can attack us. There's no two ways about it. But next year, that's not going. That's not going to happen. We're not going to be there. We're going to be fighting for our place in the Premier League next year. Realistically, oh, I don't know. We'll talk or, about it later. or maybe mid-table. We're not going to be fighting at the top of the table, <laughs> no, are we? No. We're going to be. We're going to be wanting to defend out more games than we're wanting to attack. I think your point about football evolution is interesting. Most teams this season, I think, it's only Burnley. And possibly no, only Burnley have not played a three-five-two, five-three-two. No, I'm like not every game, but like every team has tried it. Every team tries to match. So that that'll be interesting next season because there's no way Paul Dimmitt's a wing back, but you could see him as a third centre back quite easily. I think yeah. so. Let's not write him off yet. Too far, uh, too far left wing again. Now he's out of contract, Ben. Unfortunately. Oh, um, nah. If, if you're a, if you're a player now, you've signed a pre-contract. Surely. Surely you can sign a free contract somewhere. You've Anita and Gufran are going. I think what you're saying about the full-backs is though, the players that you mentioned at Tottenham and United and all the rest of it are athletically gifted. I think that seems to be where, where the game's developed at the top level. There seems to be a lot more athletes and a lot less naturally gifted footballers, in my opinion. They have to be um, because got the, the full-backs are covering so much ground now. Mm-hmm. It's such a pain. But I think you've got to... I think where Dumitri get a break is sometimes you need a bit of balance. Like, as you say, Yedlin, you know, he's a bit, not a headless chicken, but he's quite aggressive and he gets himself away down that right-hand side. You can't have both full-backs going unless you are playing five at the back. You can't have them simply both going. I think was, you were talking last week, the other week, about um, saying Dumit wouldn't do too badly against Sanchez because he gives himself five yards. Yeah. He, he, he'll eye him up and he'll say, do you know what, actually, he's going to beat me here, so I'll, I'll give him, do you know what I mean? I'll give him five yards and see what he can do. Yeah. He knows his own limitations, Dumit. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... Yeah. <laughs> but no, I just... I think, yeah... I think he's a microcosm of even I, what I what tried the last week and got shot down. <laughs> yes, I did give him uh, an, an assist that wasn't his, but <laughs> I just think he's a microcosm though of what's kind of wrong with English football. Like we, you know, what I mean, we don't back our own heroes. Like how much stick does Wayne Rooney get from the media and all the rest of it? And you know, it's it's typical with England that we we break down people that we should be backing. And essentially, the lad went to Gossy High. Like, give him a fucking break. Like, do you know what I mean? Back him. I think that's just an English thing to do, though, isn't it? Like you do see, the, like all the all the teams, they're, they're, they're much harder on their own. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's like Callback and Dumont are the two most. I was, was going to say, yeah. for it us, came up in that. Look at someone like well. Barkley at Everton gets like dogs. Yeah, you're right. Like it's just it's just an English thing. It's like almost. Because Maybe it's a northern thing though, because everyone down south thinks he's one of our own. Like for all their local yeah. players, we, we, we would never do that. Yeah. Um, Daniel, I'll bring you this. Do, do you feel the criticism of Paul Dummett from afar is too harsh? season he's, he's been very consistent uh, there's a reason uh, teams usually target our uh, right side 
uh, instead of our left. So uh, he's been very consistent. Uh, he's not all that going forward, but we have that in Yedlin and sometimes Anita. So uh, I think, as far as I can see, this season there's been more people rating him. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll do that well in the Premier League, uh, but as I said, maybe as the third centre-back. Uh, but I think uh, Rafa will get someone in to compete more closely with the Dummett next season. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. We have, we've been saying literally since we started doing this podcast three years ago, we need to sign a fucking left back. Yeah. We still haven't. He signed, signed, signed two, to be fair. And Lazar doesn't count, does he? He signed Lazar and Gamers, and it just. That neither one of them is a right back. I would have one chance to see Lazar. That was against. Wolves at home in the cup, and I, I must admit, like he was absolutely pony. Really, <laughs> really, really shocking. Um, we thought he played all right. He was just he just looked a bit weak. He was getting knocked off the ball. Like yeah. Right. That's the thing. I mean, it's an odd one because you, you do wonder what what's Rafa bought him on the basis of. Because as you say, he doesn't fit the mould of a Rafa fullback in terms of he, he can't. It's cost like two million quid though, didn't he? It was just like end, no, of, end of the window. Like, yeah. We need. Would, would spent like thirty days trying to get um, Brendan, Brendan Galloway, and then it was like, oh shit, next on the list, let's yeah. just get someone else. Maybe he was listening to the podcast and realised how much we needed to sign a left back. <laughs> <laughs> Unlikely. Or he, he watched the first couple of games and thought, bloody hell, that, that's the abuse you get for playing left back here. <laughs> yeah. Nah. I mean, Gallagher Krauss is one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just yeah. thing. I think a lot of it's born out of the huge amount of expectation there is this season, like the amount of money we've spent. Rafa Benitez is the manager, and we're getting beaten two 0 at home by Bristol City for most of the game. Like, There's all that. I think the people, for a lot of people, that's just outrageous. The the, the the people that get frustrated are the one we go two 0 down, and yeah, it's not good enough to get go two 0 down to Bristol City. That but that's the one off really. Mm-hmm. It's the none of these guys who set their raging on probably were any of the away games. They haven't seen that Newcastle. They've only seen the Newcastle that have had a bit of a wobble at home. So they, they see it as like, oh God, we're in terrible form. And actually, if you look at the 10, 10 games at any point in the season, if you look at 10 matches, we've won like 7 out of 10 at every point. It doesn't look bad when you look at everything. It's just yeah, small it's pockets of home form that some of these blokes, that's the only football they get to see. They take it, take it more personally. It's tough as well. You can... If you break down the, the defeats at home, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore Huddersfield. Daryl Yamat still played for. It was a different era. Like... <laughs> You know, it's nice to see him struggling again. Yeah. Really nice. You know, Darryl, yeah, since then, Wolves at home were shite, but were, Bemba hide one in his own net, and it was like, oh, you know. Beyond that, it was Blackburn, which was the week when we had three games, we had the quarter final. Like, there's always been mitigating circumstances. That Fulham game, oh no, that Fulham game was, um, you know, after the, the, the three away games in a week, three away games in a week. Um, were absolutely class. Fulham were, were good, but apart from me, Fulham, Sheffield was a close game. We didn't play well. We still could have won the game. There hasn't been that many performances at home where I'm thinking, you know what, we were terrible here. You know, Fulham aside, they've been close games. So in the championship, Wolves was grim, but it wasn't like Wolves had all the chances. They had two shots on target, I think. They had, they had two shots on target. One was a goal and one was a save from Sells, I know, collector's item. Um <laughs> But uh, I don't know, like, I suppose I'll, I'll move it on to you, lads. If you look at the last quarter of you say, of the season or since Christmas, we started drawing a lot of games. Like, we went through the first half of the season, drawing one game against Villa, which was Sell's fault. Um, why? What, what's happened? Why, why can't we see our games anymore? I just think it's big fish, small pond, basically. Um, every team, when they play against us, it's like teams playing the Premier League against an old Man United. You know, we're a, there's a massive target on the back. Teams to get a point off us, they're really happy with it. We're top of the league. I don't think it go it runs that much deeper than that. I don't think that the players are, you know, not engaging or there's anything along those lines. I just simply think it's oh, we're playing the biggest team in the league. If we get a point here, we've done well and they'll set up accordingly. Or if they're at one one with eighty minutes, they'll try and shut up shop. They'll try and shut up shop. Well, I mean beat me and Bond saw that first hand at Birmingham. Rafa made the changes thinking that Birmingham were gonna have a goal the last ten fifteen. Nah, never happened. But why, okay, I'll take your point, but why is that different than the one I lost? In the first half of the season, I would take them by surprise, maybe. People think, you know, is it, is it tactically they've had time to look at it and, and work well out? Is that something that you think? I, think, I, think, I don't know. I would agree with that. That, that, think... that, that Birmingham game could have gone either way. We could, we, could have, we could have easily scored a goal. In the first half of the season, we had similar matches where Gale just, just scored. We've missed we scored Gale. loads of goals. Like, yeah. 
We missed Gail over the past 10 weeks or so. He's, he's, only, he's only just got fit again. It's not quite the same. And we've not really had Murphy. He's done his little bit. We're other striker. It's, well, got, it's got like five minutes. and seven, aren't he? Murphy, yeah. I can't really argue with that. It's just but, really but, predictable. Yeah. I think that, that's the same way we play basically the same team, the rotation thing. That that's the thing though, like Chubbs has just said there. I think it is. Obviously, we, we had a the, the the first two games of the season. You were just right off, like they were mental. It was just or, or like we had a few injuries, few players missing. We just didn't show up. But it, I think it didn't. It took teams a long time to work out how to play against Newcastle. We went on that brilliant run. Okay, we had the the result against Wolves, but that was like just an anomaly. It was. It was just we didn't turn up. Everybody had a bad game and we got beat. It wasn't anything Wolves did. So it took time for teams to work out how to play with. There's a few teams have worked out. I mean Fulham played were perfectly like QPR had a good go they've come teams have started to come with a game plan now where they know if you shut down Shelby like Newcastle struggle to play and also in terms of like when you press I mean there's some teams have come and just got it completely wrong since that in terms of they just backed off and and just let we have a go at them we've torn them apart but when teams have come in and they've pressed at the right times and they've known known how to play and you can see the teams that have put the work in like it's been effective and I don't care who you are when you've when you've basically got one one playmaker in the team like Shelby if you can stop him playing it's going to impact anyone and I don't I don't care what team you are if you can stop the playmaker it, it's you're going to have him being for a tough game you expect that the rest of the team is going to have an overhaul though I've written down here for a, a point previous which we've never got to do well, this the Shelby, about, Richie, we'll talk, Gale we'll talk about later because I want to talk about next season later okay so, I want to quickly never mind then I, I want to agree with Bolland there like the, the team we've got is, is is probably doing about as well as it could do Rafa wanted another midfielder in, in January there was no, that was no big secret like because he knew that with kind of relying too much on Shelby and he needed someone else around him to chip in same with the wingers like we've got Gufran and Richie that's it, and Atsu occasionally, but he's not really done much for us this season. That's exactly he, he wanted those players, and he's had to now finish off the season without them, and it is it has been harder than expected, and I think the, the team's still doing fine, but we're not running away with it because we haven't quite given us that, that cushion. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. I was going to say, you know, if, if you look at the results from January onwards, he's asked for reinforcements and he hasn't got them, so it is easier for teams to work this out, and there isn't that extra competition and freshness in the side, so maybe that's the reason we are drawing games. Yeah, so maybe that's the reason games. it has got a bit stale, hasn't it? You can tell. Like I think, just there's, there's players within there as well. I think we we talked a lot about the competition for places at the start of the season. That's pretty much like ironed out now, and there's not really any. I mean, we were talking at the start of the year about the centre backs, how we had four basically that were vying for starting. Mm-hmm. We've only really got two now. Hanley's played a handful of games, and Bemba hasn't featured for ages. So that there there. In itself, Lascelles has had a couple of wobbles this season, but he's played through most of them. Obviously, he's the captain, but there's a lot of times at the start of the season where I would have expected him to get dropped, and he hasn't done it. And I think, I mean, it goes two ways. Obviously, you want to settle back four, back five, or whatever. But at the same time, that competition for places was really working at the start of the season because someone went out, the person came in, was having a blinder. I'll agree to an extent. I think one of the reasons we started drawing games is literally just the way the division's gone. First half of the season, everyone's got a chance to playoffs. You're literally fucking 15th in the league. Chance of playoffs. You put three games together. We're now playing the likes of QBR, where they came to St. James' Park and we should have won that game. But that was a great result for them. They were cock a hoop with a draw, whereas at the start of the season, they're probably thinking, we can get three points here, we can get up the, the league table, or you know who else have we had recently? We've had, you know, Birmingham was a great example where they're not really in relegation danger. Ah, Zola's having an absolute beast. But that was a great draw for them, whereas at the start of the season, they probably think, well, we may as well go for it, get three points. So... I've kind of found myself through looking back through the results because I, I couldn't really put my finger on it beyond what you lads are correctly saying. Teams working out, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe a little bit of staleness in our play and, and team selection. But a lot of teams pick up, you know, draw more games at this point of the season. Um, so it's a tough one. I mean, to finish off this section, it was like, just I'll ask you lads kind of as a whole, or, you know, this 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 quarter of the season, Christmas now, are you satisfied? Do you think, you know what, I said it at the start of the show, Bolland smiling there. Are you, so go on then, Bolland. Are you disappointed with the, with how it's been, particularly since Gail got injured? Yeah. But no, no, but for, yeah, we're gonna always do better as we discussed on previous. Do, are you disappointed in how it's gone? So yeah, you'd have, you would have hoped by this point we'd be looking a lot clearer than we are. I think, especially it's not it's not the like the ultimate goal but it would be nice to win the league and I think for a lot of Newcastle fans like they want to win the league and it's important to them and I think you'd hope at this stage we'd be there 
Yeah, it would be yeah, but it would be a lot further away, wouldn't we? Um, and I think you know the, the so they had the three games: Huddersfield, Reading, and Brighton, which was brilliant. But it's also you know we followed it up with Fulham, uh, Bristol just before that was it, or Bristol before or after? Yeah, before. So there's, there's been a few shockers in there. Um, the home form for me, I just wish it had been better. Yeah, I think you've you've got to take this period of the season with a bit of perspective and think about that week. We beat our two promotion rivals away from home in the space of four days. We came back from Bayern against Brighton. That's enough. <coughs> That's good enough. We're in a really strong position. We've got we've got Huddersfield after we've got eight games left, and Huddersfield have to win three more of those games yeah, than we do. We'll come back to that because I want to talk about the rest of the season okay. next with Chubbs. Um, I want to ask Bolland, would you have taken this position at the start of the season? Yeah. You would have, yeah. Snatched yeah, yeah. my hand off, yeah. <laughs> Dan, Daniel, if I bring it to you, in terms of the last, or kind of, ha- since January, how, how do you feel, do you think it's been good, good enough for some fans, some fans say it hasn't been good enough? That's why I'm using that question. Um, some games haven't been good enough, but if you look at it as two losses from 12 games, it's been more than good enough. So, uh, uh, if, Rafa had gotten his midfielder, his winger and his striker in January, we'd be even better off. Some of the draws would have been uh, wins. So overall, I'm, uh, uh, I'm leaning towards satisfaction. Just leaning. Just to cap that off, that section really, um, I'll ask you, do you, do you think if we don't go up and we continue to draw games or if we don't win the league, does the blame lie if Benitez, or does it lie with the board for not getting the reinforcements that he wanted? It's not a relevant question because we're going to get promoted. <laughs> Agreed on that, yeah. It's not a relevant question because we're going to get promoted. <laughs> Agreed on that, yeah. If we don't go, we'll have serious problems and you have to blame Benitez, but I'm absolutely convinced we're going up, yeah. If we don't win the league then? Yeah, some fans do, I don't care, I just want to get promoted. Um, like I've said before though, statistically... If you win the league, you don't get relegated. Not that I think we'd get relegated anyway, but teams that finish second tend to do far worse um, when they go up. Just a, a point from me about where we are historically. You know what? I think it's 14 seasons of the championship. There's only three teams had more points than us at this stage, and one of them was us. Um, in 2010, which doesn't count. Um, and that was only two points more. So the teams that had more than us were less, basically. They did buy the league. They, they got a massive fine off the Football Association play, breaking it in the championship. Um, they had 83, 25 points, and Redden had 91 points, which is just at this stage. And they actually slowed down at the end of the season. They were so far ahead. So, I mean... It's a totally different league now. We, I think we talked about on the way back from Birmingham. Last time we were there in the Championship, it was at Forest, Palace and QPR were all in administration. Coventry as well. Coventry as well. well this year you've got Villa, who's spent £60 million on like <laughs> 15th. Norwich have spent like fifty million there, or like tenth or something like. That's You've the championship like, now. Chef Wedge buying Jordan Rhodes for ten million yeah. quid, which is bizarre. <laughs> it's um, also a different league because there's never been a third place that's been so high, that's been so I mean, close that, to the top two in points. That, 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 that's the biggest thing. Is this West Brom and Forest? Forest must have been. Forest pushed us quite a long way. Oh, we were. We won the league. Oh, we got promoted with a good five games or so to spare, though, didn't we? Yeah, we're, uh, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good, that. But that, that's that's the thing you've got to remember. I mean, you, you're saying, that would you be, are you disappointed with how it's going or whatever? Like, you, you can't be, like, we've, we've had a brilliant season so far. What nobody could have, like, fathomed was the fact that Brighton and Huddersfield would be within touching distance of her. And, like, you've got to sort of give them like a lot of credit in that they've been ridiculously consistent as well and it's it's not it's nothing sort of that's out of our hands we can't control how other teams are but you don't see teams at Huddersfield in third place the runs they've been going on they've been brilliant and they're, they're playing like good football and they're, they're winning ugly games and stuff so I, I think if if we get promoted like I think they, they deserve a lot of credit because as you, you've said many times Dogger like no team gets to 90 points and doesn't go up whatever like we've, we've been pushed right at the end and I think we'd, if we go up we deserve a lot of credit and everyone does because it's like been there's no other season you'll never get a season like this I don't think where you've got three teams basically vying vying that realistically could all still like consider themselves a good shot of winning the league three teams that keep putting in like like runs like long runs of win 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 three, win three teams are on two points a game which is unheard yeah mm-hmm. to answer Chubb's point I think um, if if God forbid we didn't go up, there would be questions that uh, every single person at the club, Rafa, 
but from Ashley right down to, to the, the ball boys and the tea ladies. <laughs> it would be unacceptable for Newcastle not to get promoted out of this, out of this division with Rafa Benitez and the money we're spent and the players we've got. It would be completely unacceptable. But if we're being realistic, all of us, all the listeners, all of us here, Rafa, all the players, everybody knows we're going to get promoted this year because we're the best team in the league. Well, let's move it on then. So the second part of the show is going to be... Um like you, you're, you're convinced. I was going to ask you, are you all convinced of promotion? Oh well, I'm not sure. Looking at the the fixtures we've got, looking at who the other teams have got, which I'm sure you've all looked at. Like Sai, I've not heard much from you. Like, is it is it is it a done deal as as, as kind of we've said in the podcast? Yeah, well, everyone keeps talking about the the running. Like, like all three teams are going to just win all the games, so that we have to. We should be worried about the fact that we might not win every game, but. As you said before, Huddersfield are seven points behind and like thirty goals, so eight points behind. That means they need to win three more games than us out of eight matches. Like that's going to take America. That basically means because we'll win four or five of our games. Easy. That means they need to win every game, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, means they need to win every match towards the end of the season. And we've just watched them get battered off. Who was it the other night? Bristol. Bristol. Beers. Yeah. Like so Huddersfield aren't going to win eight games. Like. I just don't see how. I think Brighton, Brighton will be all right. They've, they've just looked consistent all season, but they have got. To be fair, Huddersfield have snaked so many points from from one nils, from from scrappy goals, from own goals and stuff. Like they've had a bit of a Sunderland at times. And if you could yeah. pick eight games or out of the league, you'd probably pick Huddersfield's eight fixtures. It doesn't matter though. Like does no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter because they're not going to win every game. It's, it's not like, realistic. Yeah, it's even like I presume you're talking about league position for those eight games. Yeah, I so can't even remember. I looked at who it was last week. I forgot. Teams that haven't got anything to play for. So what were we talking about? We, we were only Leeds are the only team who got anything to play for. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll beat Leeds as well. One. And they don't really. As, as well, it, it, that's Rafa. Like it, it, it was a tactical masterclass. I mean, I missed the the Huddersfield game, but um, like Brighton, just I mean, they they got a jammy goal, but we we dominated them in there. The every the team everyone says a. Built to win this league, they're the best best team in the league, and all that all that sort of hyperbole about them. But um, like we went in there and did a proper job, and, and looked really good doing it. And I just think that was Rafa absolutely got it nailed on there. And I think, I mean, obviously Chris Chris Hooten's a really well respected manager, but I think that was like the the, the the difference between the two teams was we had Rafa, they had Hooten. And a massive slice of luck. We I what luck? Uh, what do you mean the the fact that we didn't win by six? The like, chances were missed. For, no. kind of we're literally game. like it was co- that was yeah. If if we hadn't won that game, that'd have been the biggest travesty like I think I've ever seen on a football pitch. You do have to wonder a little bit though if that if that hadn't ballooned, I'd be sweating got in. That, we're that would have st- would have probably gone and scored four. To be honest, the, the army owed were like he owed were. It was pure class. He <laughs> meant that. I'm not having it. You make your own look bomb, that's exactly. <laughs> no, but he, he had literally like taken two goals off where before that, from just like misjudging a, a ball at the back post and then getting in the way of Richie, who should have scored. So he owed were one. It's the least. It's the least we deserved. Talk about Darwin a little bit, last Number ten position. I, I don't know. One he's raised it before. Who raised it? You. What were your thoughts on this position? So it's so for the way we play, it's it's massively important position. Um, when you think someone like Dwight Gale desperately needs that support and desperately needs someone who's going to play him in, and Perez. I've said before, I really like Perez. I think there's definitely a really good footballer in there, but we just don't see it often enough, mm-hmm. uh, minute by minute, not even by game game by game. Diame is a championship footballer. Maybe he can do a job in the Premier League sitting further back, but he's not a number 10. Um, when you, Doggo's favourite player, Sissoko, when you think the job he did there at the end of last season, like mobile, getting about the pitch, Diame mm-hmm. is lethargic. Yeah, loves to miss kick the ball. Labored, yeah. It looks it looks like really, really hard work from him. Mm. Like. A decent decent player. I like Diame, but it, it, if that's where we, Rafa sees him in his plans, then he's good enough for this level, but he's not good enough for it. Well, I agree with that, Bond. He's not number 10. Where, where, where should he play then? Well, him and, Sh- him, and, him and Shelby could be interesting, but mm-hmm. the point I've just made is that everything he does looks so lethargic, so laboured. Yeah. Is he going to provide the work rate over 90 minutes I'm not convinced every time he's dropped in when he's been playing number 10 and played brilliant he's dropped into midfield callbacks come off 
Someone else has come on and play up for him on number 10 and Diome's dropped in extra shots. I'll just say, we're a better, so I'll just say this, we're a better team when he plays number 10. I still don't think he's very good. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know where you're coming from on work, Ray. I think he's got a really high work rate. He's probably covering more ground. Than no, I think I think he does. He does work hard. He does work hard. But as you say, it he, he looks lethargic. It looks hard work for him to do it. No, no, no. But my, I think the the point is, is that he. I don't. That that comes across. After, I mean, we've said loads of times. At 60 minutes, he's done. Like he can't. Keep doing the amount of running. <laughs> no, but it's a different. It's a completely different like position. That's a stupid comment. Like you're not doing. You're not no, but you're not you're not tracking as much. Like when you one up and you're the man behind, you've got to cover. Like basically, and Gale doesn't go chasing everybody down. Like Diome does a lot of his running, whereas at centre mid, basically you 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 sit in. I'll I'll stick up for Diome. It's completely different. The Afcon fucked them. He had, if you look at his season, he scored at Wigan away, he scored at Burton away, two cracking goals as well. Mm-hmm. He then put that performance in against Burton at home and did them 4 0 when he was superb. And then he went to the Afcon and he's been shit since, so I don't know whether that's really more than a little bit. He's not a good, he's a decent, decent player. Yeah. That's all he is. Daniel, where do you stand on Diame Perez? season. It's been a bit of a problem uh, position for us. Uh, we've scored a lot of goals, but we could have scored more if we had someone a bit more maybe seasoned or used to that position. Uh, so I think uh, Perez is is or will be the better of the two. Uh, Diame is more or less getting used to that position still. So He's 29 now, so I'm not sure how good he's going to get. Yeah, fair enough, lads. This is a, a very chronicle comments. People won't like that. Um, thing to say, but should Newcastle be playing with two strikers at home? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Depending on who's available, I would which, say. Which two? That's the, that's Murphy, the, Murphy, Murphy and Gale. Definitely Murphy and Gale. Mm. Murphy and Gale. So you, you drop Gale into number 10 or you play genuine 4 4 2. If, 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 you if just have to do strikers, so would you drop one? So, so I'm sorry, Murphy. I'm, I'm thinking more maybe Gale plays 10. I, I, I would yeah. do personally, but... Play yeah. Murphy behind Gale. That's mental. Hold the ball up, flick it on. Yeah, we watched him at... When you watched... We watched him at... When you watched... Let us finish. When we watched at Birmingham... He's laughing now. When we talked about this at Birmingham, he agreed with me wholeheartedly, right? The amount of balls that Murphy was winning... Right. <laughs> Murphy was winning. If he just had someone to flick it onto, would he have been ideal. Well, he just play a bit deeper, can not he? We're talking about a striker dropping deeper, really. Yeah. I think, going back with it, I think Diorme's got all the ingredients you need, really, to play in number 10. He is athletic. He can spot a pass. He can be aggressive with the ball at his feet. He's obviously got a shot, but there's something not right when he's playing in there. Tend to get a lot more out of him in centre-mid. I think maybe if you're talking about playing two up top, well, probably Shelby could isn't athletic enough to play with just another midfielder next to him. He needs a bit of protection. I think when we come to the Premier League, he might struggle with that a bit. We've missed Hayden, by the way. I think when callbacks on the pitch with Shelby, it's it, they the two of them play so deep that Diame gets. He's been far more isolated since Christmas yeah. since we've lost Hayden. That's a good point. Yeah. I think as well. I just on on that as well. I think the. The, the people that are willing to play the balls into Diame is a player that shows for the ball a lot of the time and he, and he wants the ball played into feet we don't have many players that are comfortable to play a ball forward into feet when there's a, you're going to have to pass through a couple of players we just don't have many ball ball players unfortunately callbacks I wouldn't say is one of those players and that's one of the centre mids that you need to be able to move the ball about there's only really Shelby maybe Richie that, that are comfortable sort of playing balls into feet and they expect the ball back whereas you, you see it countless times we just we'll pass up good opportunities to get the ball forward to play a, a, a sideward pass or a backwards Goal pass Callbacks Callbacks like a new genus he plays sideways only plays sideways and then once he's passed it sideways he hides behind someone so he can't get it back I think we, I think we could play two up top but it might have to be a major formation shift going back to what we were talking about earlier with a 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 I think you need a bit more Legs in midfield to do it. Which which brings you back round to the question: We're top of the league. Why on earth would you change the formation <laughs> now? Like <laughs> we've also talked about it, is that we've become predictable and it's got a bit stale. And at home, yeah, so it's predictable that we will win two out of three games. I think the really like pissed, angry man inside of me on Good Friday after eight hours drinking would love nothing more than to see two up front like against Leeds and just fucking get into them. But uh, realistically, Rafa's not going to do that, is he? Um, for good reason. 
If we played, obviously, I think we'd be better looking at three up top almost with three <laughs> midfields. You know, yeah, like I think we're on. Two, one, yeah. two wide, two wide, one one that, genuine striker. Yeah. Some the other day, he was like, "Yeah, you know, four million quid buyout, good prospect for next season." I'm like, "Mate, you can't get ahead of get a game ahead of Gufran in the championship." <laughs> like, but I just don't think he's suited to, to, to. I don't think he's a wide player. I don't think he's a winger. He can't cross. His, his end product is so yeah. bad because he's he's right out on the wing. He can run up players and take them on, but when he does that, he's he's stuck at the byline with. With Gale to aim for, like he's, he's not that kind of player. Gale's, I agree. Him and Richie a bit of freedom in that in that formation, you know, drop an extra one in midfield. You might see a bit more results out of the likes of Atu, and you mm. might give Richie a bit more, a bit more license. Yeah, Atu is kind of a pointless player for us to have without someone to he- that can head the ball in the box because he's not clever enough to get the ball to Gale. At home, yes, we should be a lot more aggressive. Yes, we've got by a, a way better players than any other team in the championship. But Benitez isn't. Has never been the sort of manager that's going to send a team out and they're going to go, you know, three and four nil up in the first half. Like it's, we're just, he's just not that sort of manager. He's really intelligent. Wants to play a good footy and get through the game stage by stage. The sooner the fans get behind that and just accept it and stop sort of getting anxious after twenty minutes and want not one nil up, the better. The more games we will win at home, the better for everyone at the club, really. Yeah, I really agree with that. I mean, we've sort of going through some of the players there, maybe. You you've written, said you've written down some stuff about this. Next season, I have. I've, I'd written down when we we're going to talk <laughs> at the start when we we're going to talk just talk about Newcastle generally. Um, that we just need to have some perspective on this season because it doesn't really matter how many games we lose, how many games we play badly, and as long as we get promoted, because all we care about really is being back in the Prem next year. Um, and I think there'll be a huge overhaul of the squad in the summer because most of them aren't good enough to start in the Premier League and compete in the Premier League. I think we'll build our team around possibly Lascelles, as long as he was alongside a more experienced and better centre-half. I think he could come good. Then Shelby, Ritchie and Gale are the four players with possibly Quilt to come back in. I don't think Gale... Is that a contract as well? Yeah, Is he? Yeah. I'd be shocked if Dwight Gale starts the first game in the Premier League. I think he'll start. I, I, don't think he'll, I think we'll buy a better striker than him, but I think Gale will start and he'll... It'll have a decent spell in the team. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. Like, and I know, I think that we're not going to be battling relegation. I'm not saying we're going to win the league or get in the Champions League or maybe we'll not even get top ten. But I don't think we're battling relegation at all. Mm. And I look at the teams that go up and I look at the teams on the mid table in the Premier League. And you look at Bournemouth, Dan Goslin, <laughs> and I don't even know who else play, like <laughs> plays alongside him. And I just think I think people are a bit harsh on our lads. They're not world beaters. You know, Jack Colback's played in the Premier League his whole career. And I, you know, he's got his problems, and he can't play with Shelby, etc. Um, Isaac Hayden's never played in the Premier League before, but I think he's a really good player. I think he'll be Matt Ritchie. I think, yeah, we need a new left winger. We need a new number ten. Apart from that, I think Kieran Clark's played his whole career in the Premier League, albeit without much success for Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's been fantastic. So we're not a million miles, but we need. I think we need four or five like genuine first teamers. Who are at least going to be either rotated or part of the first team? I don't think we're, I don't think we're a million miles away from Bournemouth and Watford. I, I look at Watford's team and I don't. I mean that that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is that a lot of those teams are, are, are built on, like a, a solid foundation, which is what Rafa has tried to build and what he started. And I think that's that's the thing. People, you know, what just going back to your point, you were saying there, people need to start getting used to the way Rafa plays. You're not going to see Newcastle come out next season and try and blow teams out of the water. They're going to play very same similar. They're going to be patient, like try and grind teams down, and they're going to be hard to beat. They're not going to give teams opportunities. That I mean, I suppose that's one of the things we we get frustrated with Paul Dummett. But Paul Dummett is a Rafa type of player in that he's he does his his main job first. He does his prior his, his primary job is defend. Don't let your your opposition opposition number get in behind you. Once you've done that, like anything extra is like a bonus. And I think would yes, I agree. There's, there's a few players that need to come in, but generally, I think he'll he'll probably try and stick with mainly the back five and probably obviously Shelby's going to start I don't think he's going to look for too much turnover because if you think about when he came in it, he said there were real problems and obviously the, the way the team played we didn't really have a, a way of playing under the last few years exactly we, just, we haven't had like a system or anything like that it's taken time for these players to learn how Rafa wants to play he's not just going to make widespread changes and sack all them off when they've just learned his system after a season so I think he's probably going to see something like that as, as being like he wants his spine he wants his main sort of 
players to be to be able to do what he wants and they've had a year of getting used to it and then there'll be a few others that'll come in and, and sort of add to that we're in agreement. Um, you'll keep things the same, but why expect changes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There'll be five or six, five or six players coming in in the summer. In the squad. In the squad. It'll be in or around the first team straight away. I mean, this is resuming Rafa's days, of course, which is still very. I think it'll be, it will be interesting though I mean people are talking about how, how much we've, we've spent and stuff but I could see a lot of our players going back to the championship for good money I mean you've just said there Jordan Rhodes for 10 million you probably get someone spending willing to spend that on a Daryl on a, on a Dar- exactly like there's a lot of players that have probably got some good value that we could like rinse quite a few championship clubs for I was absolutely gobsmacked when I found out he was 25 by the way he looks like 49 <laughs> doesn't he he's weathered that's true actually one week he absolutely despised and the next is like Anita was our best player I'll give credit you know Leeds away and Birmingham at home Anita was man of the match the Birmingham away last week he was Bolland he was I just can't I didn't even have the objectives lads like he was so bad so bad. I wonder with the day-to-day of football and basically him being in training every day and I've seen a few bits on Instagram and Twitter where he's very involved with the patter with the likes of Yedlin and all the rest of the lads he's on a contract I don't think Benitez kind of just wants to just be like nah you're not up to much you're not getting a single sniff of the season because even at, even at my level like I mean playing really really low standard of Saturday football you have to kind of use your whole squad and give everyone a chance and just for morale because you don't want people feeling outcasted have you got any lads in there just for the crack? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just purely there for a bit of passion. Basically, sit on the bench, yeah. keep the bench warm for the 90 minutes yeah. a game, but they're, they're keeping everyone's spirits up on yeah. the bench. Anyone? That's me, basically, yeah. Leader's <laughs> <laughs> out of contract, so I think he's gone. The yeah. club would have offered him a new contract by now. Yeah. Goufran's gone. Goufran's staying. He's absolutely, yeah. I love it how the, the Chronicle lead with like the last graffer is Mitrovic good in the summer? Like, he's obviously gonna say no. Headline Mitrovic not for sale, like, as if as if he'd be eyes oh, off, like, as if, as if he would kill him like that. But he, he's with everyone who's listening to the podcast. I mean, Daniel, I'll bring you in. Are you a, are you a Mitrovic fan still, despite all the evidence? <laughs> About him. I think he's, uh, he's still young, uh, there's still potential there, but I'm not uh, convinced that's uh, my biggest issue. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I, I, I take what you're saying, and he did all right last season. I think people exaggerate how, how well he did, but when you say he's not a Rafa Benitez type player, um, surely he should be able to adapt a little bit, you know, adapt his game slightly to try and get in the team. Yeah, he's, he's still he's still young, as I say. So, and Rafa is the type of manager that improves uh, the players. Uh, so there's still the possibility that he'll be far better than he is now. I think Rafa said he's not looking to to sell him uh, in the summer. So that must mean he has some confidence uh, in him still. Uh, but looking at the type of strikers uh, Rafa's used previously in his career uh, big burly man isn't that common uh, for him so I don't know he's, he's not a quick player he's not a very intelligent player uh, he's there to create space uh, score goals from inside the box so in one way he's limited but he's also uh, could be good for opening up for others the thing is I was I'm a massive romantic like when he was first coming in and like even the start of this season like all of his you know the stuff he says about the club dressing his bed up in a tune kit all the rest of it like he totally bowled me over it's, I was absolutely right. having it's it it's like exactly what you want to hear isn't it mm-hmm. it's just unfortunate that why, mm-hmm. when he goes out on the Ideally, <laughs> ideally, you could just score goals. Yeah, he could be the one you keep about as the crack. Like, yeah, for the pie, yeah, he's the one, yeah. The frustrating. Ten-year deal, lifetime deal. Doesn't he worry about quitting? Yeah. 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 Doesn't he? Injured halfway team in goals. <laughs> 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 <laughs
the frustrating part about it is like I know you say he didn't do that great last season, and I agree with you. Like, there's a, he missed a lot of chances last season, but he still scored something like eleven yeah, no, no, goals. He, no, he did fine good for, for a bad good. team first season in England, but I just think people exaggerate. Yeah, he was yeah. some kind of like superstar. He did, mm-hmm. he did good. A good um, he had a good season, but yeah. nice. just hasn't happened yeah. this season. I think there's just too many occasions where he makes a clear goal scoring opportunity look like a half yeah. chance. He needed to have a big year this year, and he's barely been in the side. I do think the same about Perez, though. I've been disappointed with Perez a bit this year. I thought, yeah, I thought he would well. really come on this year, and he would go into the Prem next year on fire, and it hasn't happened. The only, the only difference of Perez, I think, is his attitude is there. He, he does the right things. He's no matter how many times he gets dropped, when he comes on the pitch, even if he comes on for five minutes, he, he seems to try. And Rafa sees something in him. I know he's Spanish. Uh, the bit I don't think you there. can say that yeah, Mitch isn't trying. He scored the win in the goal at Brighton, which has to yeah. count for some. That was huge. Yeah. And I think if anyone's got a chance next season, it's him. Because in the Premier League, he looked like one hell of a player. And the physicality of the championships probably is not up his street. I'm going to say, I think, funnily enough, they're probably two players that might just suit the Premier League more than the championship. In terms of the championship is a scrappy, like hard league. You've got to be like tough, like physically and mentally. Like it's just not for everybody. I think if you put. No, but I don't know. Like he, he did, but he did. He, that's that's the thing, though. He did. But that's the thing, he did better. He did better in the Premier League in a worse team last season than he has in this year. Like so I know I know like logic says that's that's ridiculous, but there's gotta be something in that. And I think Perez, like it was fine in the Premier League for a couple of years. Like everyone I mean there were everyone was saying that he, he could have got a move to a bet better things. Um he's had a shocking season this year for whatever reason. But it might just be I don't know whether it's the respect of the Premier League, maybe you get a bit more time on the ball or you get a bit a bit more space because teams and players are more worried about sort of your quality whereas in the championship it's just that scrappy it's like you don't get any space just players are just sort of just, just putting everyone under pressure the problem for Perez and Mitrovic for me is that they look dead slow against championship defenders and championship defenders are slow if Mitrovic is getting outpaced by Blackburn centre-backs like he did it was like where they'll both bring in money which tells you something. People rate them. Perez is, um, I don't know how they estimate this, but Perez's, has, Perez's values had the most appreciation of any footballer at Newcastle United. So for what we've got him for yeah. to what he's worth now, you know, his value's gone. Well, he's scored, he scored like something like 70 Prem goals in two, two seasons. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's for a player who's 23, 22, 23 now. Mm-hmm. He's still worth something. I would stick with Perez next season because, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Mitrovic, Daryl Murphy will probably go as much as I fucking love him. Absolutely hero. Mm-hmm. He'll go. And then, really, you've just got Gale as a striker in the Premier League. So, mm-hmm. there is definitely work to be done there yeah, in terms of improvements. Link with Sturridge during the week. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Which is just doesn't fit in with our financial structure. It's definitely not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> so know, this yeah. week so far we've had Isco. Isco. Okay. Isco. <laughs> relationship with Benitez apparently. Yeah, Personal relationship with Benitez. Or is that trying to get Cisco back? <laughs> <laughs> and then Wilshire, Rooney, Sigurdsson. Any foundation any of these? Yeah, I think dominoes are after us. <laughs> we'll finish off. Uh, we're going to talk about Strawberry Place in a bit, but we'll finish off, lads. We've got eight games left. Five of them at home. Preston, Barnsley, Leeds. Who else? Other teams at home. Preston, Barnsley, Leeds, Burton, Burton. Uh, Ipswich, Cardiff, and uh, someone else away from home. Well, our Sheffield, of course. What do, you, what do you think we need from these games? Forget about the other teams, lads. Um, what do we need from the, the last eight games? 16 points, 10 points. I mean, we're 12 points from 90. Is it 12 points from eight needed? Yes. That's I exactly think four, four I wins would be enough. Four wins. So there's a lot of margin for error there. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I reckon we'll do it with three wins and three draws, though. Right. Which would be give us what... Uh, Still 12 points. That would be enough for second. If we want to win the league, it's probably. I don't think we're going to lose. I think we'll do it with three wins and three draws and then have two games left. Daniel, do you agree with that? You think it's. uh, You know, how do you think the eight games will go? Um, 
we'll win at least four of them. Draw two, lose two. Pretty comprehensive and to the point, yeah. Um, so that's the three-quarter season review. We're going to talk a little bit now about something less funny. It is the acquisition of land um, on Strawberry Place, uh, which Newcastle United leases from Nexus, a 125-year lease, and has been sold for the development of student housing. Chubbs, I know you want to lead on this. Well, I actually think it's quite funny the way my notes have started on it. So Strawberry Place development, 390 student beds, two tower office blocks what's the point <laughs> so, <laughs> literally what is the point um that was strawberry place thank you <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially it's not exactly historic ground but the main issue uh, with regards to Newcastle United Football Club is that it will definitely infringe on us expanding the stadium uh, in the future when I'm pretty sure you know we'll be in a better position given four or five years under Benita's stewardship everyone would agree with that yeah. uh, I think the demand is certainly there to expand the stadium given that I actually can't get a ticket for the Leeds home game if anyone's got any spares <laughs> I think my girlfriend would quite like to go as well so that would be two if anyone can get them but just the one <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah uh, I think it's you know it defies common sense the other two stands I think you can't build on them because of Listed buildings, is that right? Yeah. The East Stand, definitely. East yeah, Stand. Yeah. Um, there, is and, a, there is a problem buying the Milburn and the uh, John Hall, though, for W. McCartan's. Um, they're also as big as you could get a football stadium anyway. Imagine how far away from the pitch you'd be. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. The only way to expand the Jasics of building it, but I'm sure there's a reason we can't expand those two stands. So it's the Gallagher, isn't it? That's what yeah. we could expand. So I would say that surely common sense says that you've got 50,000 plus footfall there on any match day. Key city centre point. What good to the local economy? Never mind Newcastle United Football Club. What good to the local economy does building student halls there give to Newcastle City? Like, surely some sort of retail, dining, a bar, anything would be better for the match day experience, for the local economy, for local businesses, for tourism in the city. We're also going to we're also going to have reduced parking on a match day. Now, for those that don't actually live in the city. It is a complete farce trying to get around Newcastle City Centre in a car, right? Like, just just try it on a Saturday afternoon. Literally, it's all one way. You div- you divert it out of the city rather than into the city on every single road. If we're to lose more parking on a match day, it's just detrimental. I mean, I've got a, a wider point that I think a lot of the city centre should be pedestrianised for that reason. Uh, the population's too dense for the size of the city centre and what we're trying to force into it on given days. But in general, this is the silliest idea the club have ever had from what I hear from so so what the club would say to your Chubbs there and this is in the last four minutes this has nothing to do with them the club would say that there's absolutely nothing to do with Newcastle United mm-hmm. because when when Mike Ashley bought Newcastle he bought 29 different companies and he has separated them out into whatever so what what would you say to that because I, I, I it could be argued that's an incredibly disingenuous answer for the club to give but I mean, is your issue there with Newcastle City Council as much? Because in terms of what it's been developed for, my issue is that it's whatever it's been developed for would be incredibly short-sighted of any businessman to take the 43 million quid or whatever it's worth for this is going to make them and put it in Newcastle United. I would be disappointed with that. Yeah. And for the money not allegedly to be good in Newcastle United, it hasn't happened yet, so we can't say for sure, but that's what's been reported, that it won't go into Newcastle United. Uh, sounds a lot like asset stripping for me. And if Ashley's willing to do this now, um, when there are fifth, when people are supposedly more engaged with Newcastle than any other point in his reign, in terms of attendance, in terms of interest, ticket sales, etc., what would he do if we didn't get ideas in terms of the stadium being on prime retail land in the city centre? Is anyone else worried I am by that? Yeah, it's just... It's just outrageous that he's been. I know that land was bought and it's not always been part of St James's Park, but um, it's just outrageous to start selling off a land and just restricting the the growth of the club. I mean, we talked about it before we started recording this. When we finished expanding the stadium, it was the second biggest club ground, at least in in England. As it's now, you've got Liverpool expanding, Man City expanding, Chef Wed have just got permission to expand, which I think will probably take it over what we've got. Um, Sunderland have still got capacity to expand. You know, very quickly we could see fifty-two thousand be not really that impressive. Mm-hmm. It's just a pretty average figure for a Premier League ground. 
and that would be a real shame because one of the things even though we've talked about it earlier is that the support is a, a little bit flaky and a little bit dodgy at the minute like one of the things that Newcastle is famous for is having atmosphere and if you end up with grounds like Anfield being bigger a uh, famous atmosphere all mm-hmm. of a sudden is going to become a famous atmosphere of the past but I think the other thing as well just talking on you know it being short-sighted business I don't understand, this is a little bit off the point, but I don't understand why we don't do events at St James as well, like Sunderland do, you know, when they have the likes of Rihanna's and Beyonce's and all the rest of it over there. Like, we we don't make enough use of the stadium and see it as, an, you know, an events arena, which essentially it is, to not allow us to expand on that. I mean, personally, it calls the most stereotypical draw you want, but under Benitez, I think we'll be in European football in the next five, five years. In the next ten years, we could be solidified in that, and the demand is going to keep going up what we're going to do, start charging 100 and odd quid for a home game ticket because there's 70,000, 80,000 people want a home ticket and only 50,000 can get them. That may well be it. That may be well, well be what they would come back. I mean, it's a lot, there's a lot of second guests involved here. Here's what I think. I could be totally wrong about what Mike Ashley thinks. Newcastle sell out 52,000 at home any Saturday home game this season as long as the away fans turn up. But, but, St James's Fort Park is full of half-season tickets, cheap deals, Family deals, the biggest family section in Europe, 15,000 tickets. All of that is a result of a lack of demand. See, Mike Ashley thought he was buying a money-making machine. He thought he was buying 50,000 every week, and he soon realised that, not all down to him, but mostly, you know, I remember, I think Ashley's first game in charge was Villa at home under O'Neill. We were under Allardyce. There was empty seats that day, 50,000. It was a 5.30 kickoff, 2007. Um... That'll have shocked them, I think. And that season we got relegated. No, it was the following season got relegated. T- tickets in the early Ashley era, in fact, the whole of the Ashley era up until this season have been very easy to come by. Like you say, you can't get tickets for Leeds. I've seen stuff on Twitter, spares for Bristol, spares for Fulham, which is just, you know, no other football club in the country would have that situation. Man, you play Fulham at home, there's tickets. We play Fulham at home, there's no tickets. But that's partly down to the fact that he's eroded the support. And if any of you have listened to our Atmosphere podcast, which has been well received, it's just so, like, you meet so many people who know so many people who won't go back under Ashley. And he's corroded the support that much. He now just thinks to himself, well, if I put the ticket prices up now, when we'll come. And he's wrong. I think he's wrong. But that, that's just me second-guessing how he, how he thinks. And he thinks, you know, I mean, our, our season tickets are going to be cheaper in the Premier League next season, which is good for us on a personal basis. What, 50, 40 quid cheaper? No other team in history has probably got promoted and put their season ticket prices down. Not that they have to, but I think that a lot of people have missed the little PR campaign that's been going on just to prevent this. And I think it's worked to an extent because no one cares about Strawberry Place. We're talking about it. The Castanet Supporters Trust talk about it. True Faith talk about it. The Chronicle picked up on it in a very minor way. The very small I'm definitely aware no of it. I just don't want it to, you know, everything to stop before it's too late, before people in the city realise because I think it's the student accommodation thing, without getting away from the football, is a wider problem for the city's economy. You know, they don't pay any council tax, they're only here for a certain amount of time. It's it's ugly, it's useless land. You know, yes, we need students in the city, but we don't want to become a city that's reliant on seasonal trade, which essentially I went to university in Leeds and it is completely seasonal trade down there. I mean, in the summer, you, you lose a hundred and odd thousand students and it's a ghost town in the likes of Henley. It's embarrassing, really. You know, we're a proud city and we certainly need to be looking at iconic land like Strawberry Place and at least using it for, as I say, dining, local retail, local businesses, something useful if we're not going to expand the stadium. A lot of football clubs these days have now got fan parks outside the ground, bars, that kind of thing. I mean, we're blessed with a lot of bars, you know, compared to likes of Old Trafford. The Emirates who've installed them so people can not have to drink 30 miles away or whatever but I'll, I'll take your point and um, it's really depressing that on such a positive season all of those people, those people have had our problems and we're moans um, that this is pro- this this could define this season for years to come because just saying the, the it's really sad I think it says a lot about Ashley and what Ashley probably has in mind for the club like we're all worried that there's a, there's a real chance that Rafa might not be here in the summer mm-hmm. is Mike Ashley happy for Newcastle United to sit between 13th and 8th in the Premier League with a, a ground that's increasingly becoming more and more average in the Premier League. Is that what he sees? He gets his money and that's it. He's got a short-term goal in Newcastle. However much he says it's not for sale, blah, 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 blah. As soon as he can get all of his money back, he's gone and he doesn't care what he leaves behind him. So he, he doesn't care that 
that that land is is the future of the club. Is if we ever need to progress to the level of Man, where Man United are now, we need that land. We need the ability to extend the ground on that land. He doesn't care because in five years' time, he takes his money, he fucks off, leaves us with half the assets who came in, we came into Ashley's ownership with. He's not asked the whole the whole concept of the club, the whole ethos of the club. That they don't care whatsoever about the community. Not not at all. It's it's frightening as well if you actually if people know the area around the ground, they're fortunate enough to live here. The um, if sort of from Shark Bar upwards is now there's Northumbria Business School, but the rest of it is all student accommodation. Whereas before there was nothing there. And the worrying thing about sort of culture in the city as well is they're really, really high-built buildings and they're taken away from St. James in the skyline of the city. Yeah, you can't see it anymore. You can't you see it. Up to James you can see... You can't see because that stupid yeah. salmon hotel. And that, and that actually used to be the Brown Ale site as yeah. well. And surely, you know, there should be something there. I mean, there's a blue star on the side of the salmon. Well done, lads. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> cheers for that. <laughs> cheers for that note to our culture and history. Oh, but. Supposedly, someone at the council has, gar- has, has guaranteed that there's still going to be glimpses of St James's from key strategic places around the city. Whereas, what one of the defining features, one of the best things about Newcastle as a club for me is the fact that it's right in the fucking middle of the city. You can see the ground from everywhere. You can see the ground from Gateshead. My my drive, I don't know, my unfortunate drive back from Sunderland on, on a weeknight. <laughs> like before you even get anywhere near the Tyne Bridge, you can see St James's Park. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. on the top of the hill. It's the amazing. The it's when you go across the Tyne Bridge, St James's Park is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Absolutely sensational. Really I mean, if you've been to, if you've been to Bolton away, for example, I mean their stadium is in what is their equivalent of the Silverlink. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, we really are blessed, and we really need to sit up and take notes. If you've been to the stadium of light, theirs is next to a junkyard and a dump. I think I think that just about does it. Thanks to everybody who came to the Gallagher Flags quiz. It was nice to meet a lot of you face to face. We raised three grand. If you haven't seen the video yet of the players asking the questions and the outtakes, have a look. It's a good value. Um, lads, thanks very much. I've enjoyed this. Uh, we'll be back. I'll have a Wigan preview Thursday night with a select few of anyone who wants to do it with me. Um, I've got a Wigan fan coming on which will be decent, um, and then we'll be back what were Wigan Saturday night, probably post-game. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, give us a follow-up to your weekly pod and uh, True Faith and UFC podcast on Facebook. So, um, Daniel, thanks very much for your time, mate. I, I hope it's been all right. Thanks uh, for having me. Pleasure. And uh, Chubbs, first time. I hope it wasn't too bad. We've enjoyed having you. And uh, the rest of you lads have been as average as usual. So, cheers. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.